What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. Today is Monday, January 31st, 2022. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, what's going on? Maddie, not much is going on over here, but I know a lot is going on in your neck of the woods. Yeah, we had uh, the christening for my sister's twins this weekend, so congrats to them. I am a two-time defending champion. I mean, two-time godfather now, so uh, yeah. Big, Congratulations, big dude. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very big weekend for, for me and me only. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, congrats to them. <laughs> we are also joined, just like we were on Friday, by co-host Giselle Herrera. Giselle, hello. How was your weekend? Hello, Matt. Hello, Nick. My weekend was calm, relaxing, just soaking up the weekend and, nice. and enjoying to be here. Yeah. Joy to be here. For the listeners, this is our first official episode of birthday week. Oh no. <laughs> My birthday oh, no. is on Wednesday, February 2nd, and Giselle's <laughs> is on Saturday, February 5th. So happy yes. birthday to both of us. Yes, happy birthday, Matt. Wow, happy birthday, you guys. Three-day Thank difference. Thank you, yeah, no, no free ads, but another podcast I listen to that is very successful, two of their co-hosts have uh, birthdays in the same week, so if that's any indication, oh, wow. we're going to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Aquarians unite, hello. Welcome, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you for your service, everyone. All right, let's get into the show. Planet Today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. The show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. Yeah, and I'm going to say it again. Go rate the show on Spotify and rate it and review it on Apple. Yes, please. All right, let's talk about some of these 2021 reports that came out this month. So starting off, just how hot was 2021 really? Short answer, hot. It was the sixth warmest year on record, and scientists unfortunately say that this is part of a trend that shows long-term warming is accelerating. Part of that is due to a La Nina event in the central Pacific, bringing colder, deep ocean water to the surface. So 2021 was not as hot as a record-breaking 2020 because of that. As for La Nina's go, this was the hottest La Nina year on record. So the cooler year doesn't mean a reversal of the trend from human-caused climate change. And speaking of that trend, the last eight years have been the eight hottest years on record. Gavin Schmidt, who's a NASA climate scientist and actually heads their temperature team, says the long term trend is very, very clear and it's because of us and it's not going to stop until we stop increasing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Look, it's getting exhausting that the trend is clear and obvious, but we still have a small portion of the population saying that it's not true. It's not happening. There's no way that that could be going on. I'm tired of hearing it. 
you can't look away from the fact that the last eight years have been the la- have been the eight hottest years on record. I mean, that's plain as day. Yeah, and we also, Matt, I remember we talked about it on one of the other episodes, but um, Siberia hit a Arctic record 100 degree heat. Yeah. Like that, that should set mm-hmm. off some serious bells. Like, okay, something's not going right here. Yeah. And look, my world geography is not the best. I'm not claiming to be an expert here, but when I think of Siberia, I think of Siberian tigers and I think of that scene in the dark Knight rises where they do like <laughs> pick death or exile and someone picks death and scarecrows like death by exile and they just <laughs> banish them to Siberia where it's a frozen tundra. Like that's what I think of. I don't think of hundred degrees yeah. heat and Maybe I'm wrong there, but I feel like it shouldn't get that hot ever. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And Russell Vose of NOAA said there's a 99% chance that 2022 will be in the top 10 warmest years on record and that there's a 50-50 shot that at least one year in the 2020s will hit 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. If 1.5 sounds familiar, it's because that's the number that the world agreed to avoid in 2015's Paris Agreement. The last time the world had a colder year than normal was 1976, and that's coming from both NASA and NOAA. Based on United Nations data, the Associated Press reports that more than 5 billion people under the age of 45 have never experienced a cooler than average year. I think they might have chosen 1976 as a benchmark because 1977 was the year that ExxonMobil was first presented with data saying carbon emissions are causing climate change and causing the earth to get warmer. Every year since then, it has been hotter than average. So since our listeners are mostly United States based, we wanted to take some time to talk about how 2021 looked for the United States. Now, when it comes to extreme weather events, which I'm sure our listeners picked up on from so many news stories back in 2021, temperatures in the United States last year set more all-time heat and cold records than any other year since 1994, my birth year. Let's, let's put that into perspective. The devastating cold snap in February that caused Texas's power grid to fail and the intense heat wave in the Pacific Northwest last June account for so many of these new records. Heat waves made up most of the records, uh, important to note. All-time heat records were set last year at 8.3% of all weather stations across the nation. In Salem, Oregon, the highest temperature recorded was, get this, 116.96 degrees Fahrenheit on June 28th, as compared to the normal high during June being around 74 degrees Fahrenheit. That's just, yeah, that's so wild. That's more than 50 degrees. Yep. Yeah, and and just to put that into perspective a little more, all-time heat records were set last year at almost one out of every 10 of the weather stations in the U.S. Like, that's just, that's so much. You can't deny the numbers. And it's really when you put that into perspective like you did, Matt, it's incredible. On the other side of these extreme temperature events this year, during the winter storm on February 17th, the temperature dropped to minus 5.98 degrees Fahrenheit in Jacksonville, Texas, way below its normal February low of about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Let me repeat that, minus 5.96 versus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Overall, these extreme temperature events can often demonstrate the most visible effects of climate change. According to Robert Rode, the lead scientist at Berkeley Earth, quote, we will expect to see more extremes and more all-time records being set. What were hot days in the past are becoming more common, and what were very, very hot days in the past are now two or three times more common than they used to be. So we talked about the world, we talked about the U.S., but people who follow this stuff also care about the polar ice caps. So what did 2021 look like for those two regions? The UN reported on January 7th of this year that the Greenland ice sheet lost more mass during its melting season than it gained in the winter for the 25th year in a row. Between August 2020 and August 2021, Greenland lost 166 billion tons of ice from surface melting and loss of ice chunks from icebergs. On January 19th, NASA reported rapid changes have been occurring in the Arctic since 1978, where ice coverage has been declining at a substantial rate. In the Antarctic, the sea ice coverage has actually been increasing, although at a lesser rate than the decrease in the Arctic. So look, overall, we're losing glacial ice each year on average, and that trend continued in 2021, which makes sense when you factor in what we talked about earlier. 2021 was the sixth hottest year on record. Another reason why 2021 was one of the worst years <laughs> is the hot, the heat, and these records being broken. It's been a long couple years. Yeah, yeah. really. Matt, I feel like every episode during throughout like the whole summer was pretty much like, yep, another heat story, another heat story, another heat story. Like it just was nonstop pretty much the whole summer. Yeah, and it got to the point where we were like, where do we want to cover this? Like what order do we want to put this in? That way people aren't just <laughs> yeah. like, I get it. Skip, it's skip, hot. skip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, we got to get used to it. You don't have to, to tell me it's hot. I have my AC on right now. <laughs> Blasting. <laughs> so let's talk about why year after year is one of the hottest years on record. Greenhouse gas emissions. And I want to talk about 2021 by first talking about 2020. Yeah, 2020 was a weird one. People drove less due to COVID restrictions. A lot of people lost their jobs and couldn't afford to travel. And the overall U.S. economy was was down. Some of the hardest hit sectors of the economy are also the leading sources of U.S. greenhouse gases, transportation, electricity, and industry. Transportation emissions were down 14.7%. Power sector emissions were down 10.3%. Industrial emissions were down 7%. And emissions from buildings were down 6.2%. And overall, emissions in the U.S. were down 10% for the year. And I actually remember um, in L.A., like, I think maybe three or four months into the pandemic, you could clearly see um, like the actual city of LA from like, I can't remember what vantage point it was, but like you can never see it because it's just so like smogged up usually. Yeah. And I remember like they, they, they had an article in the, in the Los Angeles times about it, but it was like, you can now see the city of LA from whatever it was. It was really cool. Wow. Yeah, I remember a bunch of those stories all throughout the world where people were like, oh, this is what we're supposed to be able to see from here. And oh my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were like, all right, cool. <laughs> let's ruin that again next year. <laughs> yeah, let's get right back at yeah. it. Okay. So look, emissions reductions are generally good, albeit I think I speak for all three of us here when I say I wish it didn't take a pandemic for the numbers to look like that. So despite the decreases in 2020, 2021 saw greenhouse gas emissions bounce back big time. Emissions overall were up 6% in 2021 behind coal plants firing back up. And look, this shouldn't be shocking. The economy's back up. 
People wanted to travel after maybe not being able to last year. People wanted to drive to see their families more as vaccines started to get rolled out. This all kind of makes sense. And Kate Larson of the Rhodium Group, which is a research and consulting firm, says that the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic means that the rise in emissions is actually lower than what it could have been if COVID was just not a thing right now. I mean, that's good to hear. Uh, But thinking about like the science of these um, pandemics and how, you know, there are waves, I feel like when it's when cases are down and variants are under control, like people are going to scramble to try and get as much like money get productivity. as much done as you can yeah, while you can. Yeah, yeah exactly so then when they kind of filled their quota reached their quota when cases come it's kind of messed up it is messed up but yeah it's a good point because like you're basically putting your life on hold in those months to like kind of bunker down like stay safe and stuff and then you know when you when you like either just had covid or like whatever the case is and you want to see your family, you want to see like all your friends and stuff, like you want to go out and do stuff, like travel, do everything you can, because you don't know when the next spike is going to be. And I, I totally understand that too. Uh, yeah. And to your point, let's hope that this one or the next one is the last spike and we can just get things back to normal finally. So let's talk about some numbers here. Transportation was up 10%. So it actually rose less than it decreased last year. Coal-fired power plant emissions rose by 17% after declining by 19% the year before, and part of that is because natural gas prices rose. It was cold in the winter, and the cost of imports rose, so many utilities ran their coal power plants more often. Industry emissions rose 3.6% in 2021, and with industry, we're talking about stuff like cement and steel. Those parts of the economy make up roughly 20% of U.S. emissions, so industry is a huge sector to consider here. Building emissions were up a little bit this year, too, by 1.9%, so basically emissions across the board were up last year. And that wasn't unique to the U.S. Global carbon emissions were estimated to be up by 4.9% in 2021 after a 5.4% decline in 2020. China, India, and the EU all had increases in emissions. Yeah, and this study also didn't account for wildfires or agricultural emissions. And wildfires in North America alone were estimated to emit 83 million tons of carbon dioxide last year. So yeah, that makes sense too when you think of all the wildfires we covered on this show and all the ones that we, we didn't. I mean, there were a lot that were just ongoing and we had to focus on the big ones because this is a small show that doesn't have time to do everything every day. There was a lot of fires. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that it was 83 million tons. Yeah, it, it, it did feel the same thing with the the heat stories. It was like every time there's a heat story, well, soon after that, there was probably going to be a, a wildfire story. So Yeah. With one came another. Yeah. yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> yeah. Smoke, smoky the bear. <laughs> All right. We are going to take a quick break, but we will be back to talk about how this all impacts our oceans. is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. 
Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, how rising emissions and rising temperatures are impacting our oceans. A study published earlier this month in Advances in Atmospheric Science shows that the world's oceans were the hottest they have ever been in 2021. The study measured the ocean heat content index and concluded that human-emitted greenhouse gases were the direct cause of warming oceans. For any of our scientific process people out there, they did this by analyzing buoy data from seven ocean basins and measuring how much energy was absorbed there. The oceans have been warming steadily and rapidly since the 1980s. So we wanted to get into what this means a bit here. Yeah, so the authors of the study said that warmer oceans supercharge the weather systems, creating more powerful storms and hurricanes and increased precipitation. They also said that warmer oceans make the atmosphere warmer and more moist, which is why there's more intense rainfall during storms. Yeah, and that's going to cause more flood risk during storms. Last year saw nine severe storms, four tropical cyclones, and two flooding events that caused $100 billion in disaster recovery costs in the United States alone. It's statistics like that that remind me that climate change is as much an economic crisis as it is an environmental crisis. Yeah, and if we're putting it in dollars, I mean, $100 billion in disaster funds, recovery funds, just in the U.S., imagine globally, because we know it's not just an isolated incident. This is happening yeah. all over. So if we don't want to do it for the reason of, you know, protecting the earth, protecting future generations, if we want to focus on money, that should really say something. And the thing is, if you focus on either one of those, you're getting to the same result. Like whether you want to protect the planet or you want to protect the economy, we still need to focus on mitigating climate change because adaptation costs a lot more. Yeah, it, it's like a flow chart and it all leads to the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if, if this, then this. Yeah, and it's just pointing in the same direction. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So to get more into the environmental side of the crisis, Michael Mann, who's a climate scientist from Penn State, recently said, ocean warming, aside from causing coral bleaching and threatening sea life and fish populations, is destabilizing Antarctic ice shelves and threatens massive sea level rise if we don't act. Another environmental issue from warming oceans is algal blooms. Maybe this one isn't talked about as much, but more algae grows in warmer oceans, which impacts marine ecosystems and coastal economies. So all of this is tied together. And because everything is tied together, there needs to be balance. We have to get back to that equilibrium, that homeostasis, if you will. Algae is important for the ocean as a whole and for the ocean's food web. It's a primary producer. It feeds so many organisms within the, within the ocean, but at the same time, too much algae is bad. Algal blooms can produce toxins and too much of these toxins can kill pretty sizable amounts of marine life and which accumulates so much that it can change the color of the water. Yeah, and one of the main causes for algal blooms is going to be surface runoff and including nitrogen and phosphorus, which are in fertilizers and which are in pesticides. And a lot of that comes from agricultural runoff, but some of it comes from just general lawn care. So if you listened on Friday, 
you heard our first ever segment, the TPT Soapbox. <laughs> if you haven't listened yet, go check it out. Great episode last week. It was fantastic. I think we were on good form. <laughs> yeah, and another issue with algal blooms is that algae is a living organism, meaning it can die. And when it dies, it's going to sink in the ocean and release carbon upwards as it starts to decay. So that decaying can lower the oxygen level of the water, which is then going to have a huge impact on all marine life. And speaking of oxygen, algae outcompetes phytoplankton, which is one of the world's key oxygen producers. Good thing to, mm-hmm. yeah. to note. Yeah, and scientists from NOAA estimate that photosynthesizers like phytoplankton and seaweed in the ocean produce at least half of Earth's oxygen. And that can be up to 80% in some of their estimates. So kind of a misnomer that you know trees are basically our main source of oxygen. Like there's a lot of of oxygen that's made up in the oceans as well. Mm-hmm. And that 80% is for all photosynthesizers. One specific species called Prochlorococcus produces 20% of the world's oxygen. And that's more than what's produced by all of the tropical rainforests combined. Yeah, so oceans, actually important. Who would have thought? Yeah, people think. I'm like, <laughs> Just every scientist that ever that's been saying like, hey, take care of the oceans, they matter. They were right. Like what Nick was saying, people think trees are the main um, oxygen producers. Nope, we got to give it to the to the ocean algae. You know, the photosynthesizers yeah, in the ocean. Yeah, give those little give those little guys some credit, huh? Give give plankton the Krabby Patty formula. He's doing a lot for us. <laughs> <laughs> Another big issue that climate change is causing on the oceans is something we alluded to earlier: sea level rise. So the U.S. EPA said, quote, sea level rise has risen at a rate of roughly six tenths of an inch per decade since 1880 and has led to the loss of land in Florida and New York, both areas that are close to my heart. Um, In the U.S., 40 percent of the population lives in coastal areas like Florida and New York. And globally, eight of the world's 10 largest cities are near a coast. Bringing it back to Friday's episode, this is really important to think about, you know, how many people live on coastal, by the coast, live by the water. Scientists estimate that 1.4 billion people will be displaced by 2060 due to sea level rise. That's a large fraction of the world's population right there. Yeah, there's there's a whole subsect of the refugee crisis that we haven't even gotten into yet. There, there's so many displaced people throughout the world already and that's before we get into, you know, places like I'm about to talk to you next that are going to be underwater. So, you know, let's let's get right into that. Politicians in Miami have been preparing for people to leave due to rising seas. The Maldives in the South Pacific is building new islands for people to relocate to once the existing islands get submerged. Palau is another small Pacific island, and that created the world's largest marine reserve One, because it creates a buffer against the waves. And two, it's going to attract investment for when they need to relocate their people. Bangladesh is experiencing rising sea levels, landslides, erosion, and cyclones due to climate change. And all of these phenomena lead to saltwater getting into their drinking water and ruining their rice fields. So it's also going to get into a food insecurity issue. Yeah, which we outlined last week with with that with the um, most affected countries of climate change. Mm -hmm. And this is why so many leaders say climate change is a national security threat. 
It really is. It's crazy that you have to basically plot out your your escape route while you're living on, you know, a piece of land that's completely fine. It's probably weird for the, the people in the Maldives and and all over the, the world, but you know, it's just it's becoming more and more real as as the years go on and it's just gonna become more common. Yeah, it's something that you have to prepare for now. And Bangladesh is often referred to as ground zero for climate change, and they only emit around half a ton of CO2 per capita, whereas here in the United States, we emit 20 tons per capita. So they're really not contributing much, and yet they're getting hit the hardest and going to continue to get hit the most. And just to bring this full circle, something we mentioned earlier that's causing sea level rise is glacial melt. We spoke about the data behind it before, but what is glacial melt causing? All right, let's start with the obvious one, right? The more glaciers melt, the more that seas are going to rise because that water needs to go somewhere. Yep, but equally important is what happens when permafrost melts. Permafrost is defined as a thick subsurface layer of soil that remains frozen throughout the year, occurring mainly in polar regions, as you can imagine. And It can also be found on mountaintops, but it's mostly found in glacial regions. When those glaciers melt and permafrost gets exposed, the vegetation in the soil starts to decay and releases all that trapped carbon, all those other trapped greenhouse gases. Right. And how much is that, right? That's the question we're all probably wondering. Scientists estimate that 1,400 gigatons of carbon is stored in permafrost. So... Look, making sure that this doesn't all melt should be on every politician and global world leader's radar when it comes to combating climate change. So glaciers melting because of carbon emissions is causing more carbon to be emitted then? Yep. So (laughs) not great. It's a terrible, terrible cycle. Yep. We are in for it. Yeah. And I mean, look, the, the silver lining here is there are scientists conducting research and doing these reports and putting these reports out and getting these reports in the hands of the people that can make a difference. And while they're working on these reports, there's another group of scientists that's looking at how do we fix it? What do we have to do? What is that going to cost us? Like we have the answers. We know what we need to do. It's just a matter of, like we say, I don't know, every week, every, every five minutes on every show, it's like, Get your ass in gear. Yeah. We know what we need to do. We just need the people in power to do that. And I will say, you know, the beauty of social media and globalization, I wouldn't say the beauty of globalization, but the the wonderful thing about social media is that we get to see the stories of people in these countries that are being so, like, disproportionately affected by climate change because of larger countries like us and China and India, um, we're hearing their stories and we're seeing like what is happening. And I mean, I'd like to think like the Grinch, our heart grows a couple more sizes, but um, at least it does, I think, for everyone here. But um, things got to change. Things have got to change. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good place to close out today's episode of TPT. So Nick and I will be back on Friday for our weekly quick hits episode. And then we got another one coming your way Monday. Yeah. So next Monday, me and Matt will be reviewing The Last Ice and that's on Disney Plus. So definitely go check it out before next week. Yeah. And we're going to remind you on Friday as well. So we're going to be doing documentary reviews a little bit differently this year. And I think that's going to make them a lot more enjoyable for the listeners. Yeah. If you like the show, please give it a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. 
for the planet today. I'm Giselle Herrera. I'm Nick Janusa. And I'm Matt Norton. Thanks for tuning in. See you on Friday. Peace. Peace.